Thanks, guys. When I became a pastor, what seems like many, many years ago now, I was full of joy and exuberance, enthusiasm. I still am all these years later. I have loved, loved, loved what God's called me to do. I have no regrets looking back on the past. Now I have some regrets about some decisions I've made along the way, some things I've said along the way, some things I've done along the way. If you don't have any regrets, that means you're not trying. But I have no regrets about God's call in my life to be a pastor. But early on, I began to see, especially in the lives of those that I was working with in mental health, how important truth was. Understanding the truth about who they were and how God created them and what God called them to be. And I found myself becoming a real, real seeker. Lord, I want to understand truth. I, I want to be wise. I want to have wisdom. I didn't want to end up being known as a lot of people that I've met along the way that were wise guys and not wise men or wise women. And I think you know the difference between what I'm saying. And then that desire and that passion for wisdom, what do you do with truth and knowledge once you have it? I mean, what do you do with it? I mean, you may possess knowledge in your particular area, but if you don't have the skill to use that knowledge and to apply that knowledge, then you risk becoming all puffed up. You know a lot, but you don't really know how to do anything with it. And we all know people like that. I mean, let's be honest and frank. We all know people like that, that they've got lots of knowledge they never do anything with it. They're formidable in a game like Trivial Pursuit. I mean, they know a little bit about everything. But the further I went along and met people as a pastor, working in mental health, the further I worked in hospitals as chaplains, as a chaplain, and then when I got involved working with military bases and prison ministries, all of these things had a way of shaping me. And I came to the conclusion of this, that truth without grace will crush people. And I mean, I was, I was all about truth. Truth without grace will absolutely shred you. But grace without truth gives people a license to sin. They'll feel like they can live any way they want to and sin is how the devil ensnares us and traps us. There are things that you don't want your children to do because you love them. They may not like you for saying, no, you can't do this. But you do it risking their disapproval because you know what sin will do to them. And that's what I love about Jesus is that truth and grace met together in him. The truth will set you free and grace will forgive you of all of your sins and everything you've ever done. 
And the story that Pastor Corey read, if I was to pick out my top five Bible, favorite Bible stories, the one that Pastor Corey read to you would be one of my top five favorite Bible stories. Because you see truth and grace meeting together in the life of this adulterous woman. The Bible says she was caught in the very act. And I don't know why the man wasn't there. That's always puzzled me. There's another Me Too story. Where was the man? But when they brought her before Jesus and they threw the truth in his face, the law says we ought to stone her. Jesus knelt down in the dust. We don't know what he began to scribble. But there he scribbled in that sand and he rose from that dust to defend her. And he said those famous words, he that is without sin, let him cast the first stone. And then he knelt right back down into the sand. And when he arose this next time, he arose to forgive her of her sins. And he says, woman, where are your accusers? And the, the Greek, our English doesn't bring it out. It means dear woman. It's not woman. My daddy would be playing with my mama sometime. He'd go, woman? She'd just look at him and say, shut up, Buford. They just played that way sometimes, back and forth. It's like he's saying, dear woman, where are your accusers? And she says, Lord, there are not. And he says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Go sin no more. And we believe that she was one of those women who followed Christ and was one of those women that we read about in the Bible that supported Christ's ministry. And that she was one of those women there at the early church because truth and grace met there. And this whole series about, and I do pray that you'll get people to listen who haven't come. I'm going to be all of these messages are online along with the outlines but I know we've had horrible weather the last two weeks. But this is so important for our church and for our mission because the first two weeks was on how God friended us. How God friended Matthew, a hated tax collector. How that God friended Zacchaeus, the chief of the hated tax collectors. He was the mafia boss. I love the meme that somebody sent me after that message and says, long before Zacchaeus would climb a tree to meet Jesus, God made sure a tree was planted that Zacchaeus could climb to see Jesus. And God will work supernaturally for you to prepare the way. And then last week we looked at how we become friends of God. And today I want to look at how we do what Jesus said that we too go and seek those that are lost. How do we friend lost people? So I'm just simply calling this friending others. How do we do that? How do we build those relationships? Because Jesus is not shocked by sin. Jesus is not shocked by your sin, my sin, or any sin in this world. But what Jesus did is, Jesus always goes to the spot where sinners are at. 
And sometimes we want the sinners to come to the spot that we're at. And we reverse the process. Jesus went and he met Matthew while he was collecting taxes and says, come. I mean, he's actually doing it. He's cheating and ripping off people. And he looks at this guy and everybody's just like, what? He says, Matthew, follow me. And Matthew gets up and follows him. He goes to Zacchaeus' house. He says, Zacchaeus, come out of that tree. I'm going to your house. I'm going to eat your food tonight. I'm going to sleep in your house tonight. I'm going to sleep on your bed tonight. And everybody goes, what? If he was really a man of God, if he was really the son of God, he wouldn't do this. I mean, think of how shocking that is. What if I came up to you and says, Lisa, I'm coming to your house tonight. I'm going to eat your groceries. And I'm going to spend the night in your house. You'd go, he has lost his ever-loving mind. We just don't do that. You see, Jesus goes to where sinners are at. He goes to the spot that they're at. He calls us to go to the spot that where they're at. Don't ever forget. When Jesus saw you and I and our sins, when he saw us, he knelt down, laid upon that cross in the sand, and they nailed his hands to a tree. And when he rose up, he rose up crucified to defend us before the Father. His blood is an everlasting atonement, making intercession for you and I. And when he rose again on the third day, he conquered sin, death, hell, and the grave. And he says to you and I, I do not condemn you. You are not condemned. There is therefore now no condemnation. Go and sin no more. Can we not give him a hand of praise for that this morning? That's what Jesus does for us. So how can we do any less for other people? When the haters come to Jesus, he just simply knelt down and ignored them. And when I deal with the haters, I simply kneel before the Father. And I pray for my lost friends. I pray for the haters. But I ignore everything they've got to say. Because what they say doesn't matter. It's what Jesus says. It's what Jesus says about our lost friends. And the reason he could do that is because he paid that price. So years and years ago, I came to con two conclusions. That my spot and your spot is to be where lost people are. We gather here to worship, to praise his name. We invite them to come with us. But our jobs, Monday through Saturday, is to be where they are at. Second conclusion I came to is that lost people matter to God and legalists just mutter. And I would rather have on my heart what matters to God rather than mutter with the haters. Amen? So I'm going to ask you if you would stand with me this morning. I want to read one more verse of scripture. People just really want to matter. They want to matter to God. They want to matter to you. And the most wonderful thing about the gospel is this. We all red, yellow, black, and white. We all matter to God. Read out loud with me this morning if you would.
Now that we have actually received this amazing friendship with God, we are no longer content to simply say it in plodding prose. We sing and shout our praises to God through Jesus the Messiah. Read that last sentence again, please. We sing and shout our praises to God through Jesus the Messiah. Do you mind this morning? I know this probably doesn't seem very sophisticated, but do you mind just shouting out loud with me? Praise God. Matter of fact, I won't shout. You shout because if I shout, I'll probably blow the speakers this morning. Because when I want to holler, I can holler. Watch football with me. So on the count of three, would you just shout out as loud as you can, praise God. Are you ready? Are you going to do it? You're not going to sit there like a knot on a log, right? If so, I ask that the Lord will just tie your tongue in knots for the rest of the week. And he answers my prayers. You know that. He does. On the count of three. One, two. You ready? Deep breath. Three. Hallelujah. You just did what the Bible says. We sing and we shout our praise. Lord, we love you. Come on. We love you. We love you. We love you with all of our hearts. We gather right now. And we set an attention not at the words of this preacher, Lord, but at the word of God. And I ask you to help me to teach it and to preach it in a way that is both full of grace and truth. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, Amen. God bless you. You can be seated this morning. Well, if I want to reach out and build friendships with others, then the first thing I have to do is just do what I said, reach out. I just kind of be willing to become vulnerable and to reach out and take the initiative in building friendships with lost people. I am a, by nature, I've told you this over and over, I hope to encourage you with it, is that I am by nature an introvert. I am not an extrovert in any way, shape, or form. I'm more comfortable surrounded by my close family and friends and my books, and I'm even more comfortable just with my family and with my books. And Sometimes if I'm not careful, I'm more comfortable with my books and just studying and writing and thinking. And uh, Becky, once in a while, will come up and open the door to my study at home. And she'll say, you need to come out now. You need to come out and play. And so I'll, I'll shut everything up. And I have that natural tendency. So I am what I have turned myself a learned extrovert. I've learned that when it comes to building friendships, I don't wait for other people to make the first move. I take the initiative and I reach out to build those friendships. I told you last week about the funeral I preached on Friday night for Charlie Baker. And Charlie is in heaven today because somebody in our church reached out to Charlie. Jeanette is a follower of Jesus Christ because Lowell and Olivia Williams reached out to Charlie and Jeanette and began to build a friendship with them and just began to extend friendship and to love them and invite them to their small group. And one night in the course of building relationship with Charlie and Jeanette, there was a song that they were singing in their small group and Charlie began to weep and that night before the service was over in their small group, both Charlie and Jeanette had given their hearts to Jesus Christ and Charlie is in heaven today all because Lowell and Olivia were willing to reach out and to touch Olivia, excuse me, and touch Charlie and Jeanette. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise for that this morning? I mean, it's just a beautiful story. The Bible says, here's a simple rule of thumb for behavior. Ask yourself what you want people to do for you and then grab the initiative and do it for them. 
Building friendships is not as difficult as I once used to think that it was. It's not as difficult as I once used to think that it had to be because to build a friendship, you just really need to pay attention to what Jesus said here in Luke chapter 6 and begin to ask yourself, what do you want people to do for you? What is it that you'd like for people to do for you? How would you like to be treated? Uh, what kind of friendships would you like? What kind of relationships would you like? And then begin to extend that sort of friendship to lost people especially. Sometimes people ask me a question like this. They say, Pastor, the Bible says we can ask God for anything we want in Jesus' name and it will be done for them. And then they'll tell me about a disappointing answer or a disappointment they had in prayer. And I will say to them, yes, the Bible says exactly what you said, but you're taking it a little bit out of context. Let me use the example with you this morning that I used in the first service. I don't know if you know this, but Pastor Corey and Jeanette are just the opposite when it comes to weather. Jeanette loves all things cold and snowy, so she's a very hamper, happy camper today. Pastor Corey, the man of God that he is, he loves all things warm and sunny. And so if they're praying, Jeanette is asking for snow and cold weather, and Corey is asking for sunshine and in warm weather. Whose prayer is God going to answer? Because they're battling each other in prayer. Next week on Super Bowl Sunday, I can promise you, there are going to be some people that are going to be praying for one team, and some people will be praying for another, especially those that are gambling, by the way. They're going to be praying, you know, and those folks are going to be clashing. Whose prayer does God answer about the weather? In war, there have been times when Christian nations have gone up against each other. Whose prayer does God answer? In the Civil War of the United States when there was such a revival on both sides of the lines. And I've told you about before the time I got to spend in the archives of the Civil War letters written by Southern and Northern soldiers and their prayers back home. You see, the prayer that we pray always has to be in a line with the will of God. What God wants, what God desires, it's grace and truth meeting together. And so, as you write down what you desire for other people to do for you, you, I believe that one of the things that you'll discover is that you're becoming more and more like Jesus because the, you want to be treated the way Jesus treated people and you want to treat people the way that Jesus treated others. And that's important today because people are afraid of being hurt. Who do you trust anymore? Who do you trust with your confidences? Who do you trust with your friendship? Who do you trust with your love? So many young people growing up in homes where mothers and fathers don't trust each other or have shattered relationships. And so they grow up untrusting in relationships and something has become very popular in our culture over the last decade and it's called starter marriages. If this marriage doesn't work, then and I will just get a divorce and we'll find someone more compatible. Well, there's two lies to that. Number one, marriage is God's creation and we marry for better or worse. And number two, there is no such thing as two compatible people. That beast does not exist. Everybody has incompatibilities. And so you'll never find anybody that you're completely compatible with. So my thought in telling you this morning to do what Jesus did, Jesus went more than halfway. Jesus left the throne room of heaven. Jesus came and he knelt in the sand. Jesus came and he met us in our sins and he loved us just like we were. Let's reach out and not demand that people come to our spot. Let's be willing to go to where they're at and love them in the name of Jesus Christ. 
The second thing I would suggest to you from the word of the Lord this morning, and not just a suggestion, but what the scripture says, be genuine, be real with people, be who you are. You could write right here, be vulnerable. And I know that vulnerability is awfully hard in our culture, in our society, because if I make myself vulnerable to you, you might hurt me. If I make myself vulnerable with you and I share my likes or my dislikes, if I share my, my desires, if I share my hurts and my pains, and maybe you'll share those with somebody else. But if you're going to reach others, you've got to be genuine. You've got to be real. You've got to be willing to drop your guard as it was. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 12, this is what the Apostle Paul said. This is what we are proud of, and I can say it with a clear conscience. In everything we have done in the world, and especially with you, we have had an honest and a sincere heart from God. And friends... When people know that you're honest and that you're sincere, when people know and see in your life that balance of grace and truth, they're just naturally drawn to you. I meet so many people who are, and I mentioned this last week, the people who wanted it, who contacted me about doing image branding for me and image management. I didn't even know such an industry existed. We don't have to have our image managed if we'll just be who we really are. Now, as Bill Cosby, and I know it's not funny to use his name anymore, and he did horrible things, but he did say something I thought was really cool. When he's talking about being yourself, he says, if you're an armpit, at least put on some deodorants. Because <laughs> all of us have got some areas in our life where we stink, right? We've all got some areas in our life where we need a little deodorant. But we have to be vulnerable and we have to be real because everybody knows that we're not perfect. So why pretend? Why to pretend to be something that we're not? And, and it comes down to this whole idea of vulnerability because I have come to believe that vulnerability is the cradle of creation. Vulnerability is the cradle of communication. Vulnerability is the cradle of invention. Vulnerability is the cradle of imagination. Vulnerability is the cradle of building a loving marriage or having children that are healthy. Vulnerability is the cradle of being able to do anything positive in life. Every Sunday when I stand up here to preach a message, I make myself vulnerable. I, I preach with one audience in mind and that's the Lord. I want to be sure that I'm preaching his word. But I always wonder, are people listening? Are people hearing? Are they, are they catching it? Are they getting it? And, and I'm always doing it because every blog post I write, every article I write, every book review that I write for some of the companies that I write reviews for, everything that I write, you put yourself out there and you make yourself vulnerable. And when you reach out to become a friend with somebody, you make yourself vulnerable to those people. But it's that that is the cradle of friendship and the cradle of love. And you say, well, pastor, I'm afraid as you just said I'm going to be hurt. You will be hurt. I can't tell you how many times I've been hurt. I, can't I can tell you this. Just, you've got to adapt this attitude. Take this from a learned extrovert. Take this from somebody that knows. Somebody that, you know, year after year experiences these things. I'll meet people who tell me they love me with all their heart, and then 30 days later, they don't want to talk to me again. I'll meet people who say, I want to become a part of this church, but not if you're planning on leaving soon. And then six months later, they decide God's led them to another church, and they want to go somewhere else. I meet people that they love me until I tell 
them something they don't agree with. I meet people that tell me they love me, and suddenly, all of a sudden, they get mad because I preached on something that they felt like I shouldn't have preached on. Friends, hear me when I tell you this today. The mistake we make is to pull back into our shells. A turtle doesn't get anywhere until he sticks his neck out. Just keep sticking your neck out. And today, I have more friends than I ever dreamed I could have ever had in my whole life. And you have to be willing to be vulnerable because you're going to be hurt. And I think the reason that some people are master, and I've never read this in a book anywhere, but I think the reason some people are master salesmen or saleswomen is because they're not afraid of rejection. I think that some people, the reason they're masters at teaching or at politics or in their profession or in acting, it's all because they're not afraid of rejection. Friends, you've got to be willing to be vulnerable if you're going to be genuine. Now think about that. Because people will at times when you're trying to friend them, they're going to ask you very personal questions. They're going to ask you about marriage. They're going to ask you about children. They want to know how this whole deal is working in your life. They want to know if God answers your prayers. And then sometimes they're going to ask you a tough question like I told you just a few minutes ago. I ask in Jesus' name. That's what the preacher said on television. And I ask in Jesus' name and he didn't do it. So it doesn't work for me. That was a conversation I had with a hotel clerk. It doesn't work for me. Friends, I want to tell you, Jesus has already worked for you when he knelt in the sand for you and he rose again from the dead and he will answer every prayer that's in line with his will. Can we give him another hand of praise this morning? And can I say one other thing? And this just needs to be said because we're talking about friending others because I often tell my lost friends, I'm no better than you are. Because I'm a follower of Jesus Christ doesn't make me any better than a Hindu, a Muslim, a Jew, a Gentile. Being a Christian doesn't make me better. It just means that I've been saved by grace. Do you, you get that? That's important to know because there's enough stories about the holy Joes out there and the holier than thou's out there. We don't need to be a part of that. Number three, be committed. In other words, you're going to be their friend whether or not they follow Jesus or not. And I've had to tell a lot of my lost friends, if you're not, you know, if you never give your heart to Jesus, I'm still going to be your friend. Nobody wants to be a notch on my spiritual six shooter. Nobody wants to be a head over my fireplace. Nobody wants to be a star on my wall. But they want to know that I'm going to be their friend. We have no indication in the scripture that Jesus never be uh, disfriended. What do you call it on Facebook? Defriend somebody? when you cut them off your Facebook I, you know somebody was telling me that they shared something and a bunch of people I think they said defriended them Jesus never defriended disfriended unfriended anybody he's still your friend some of you he's been your friend for years until you gave your heart to Jesus Christ he never gave up on you Never gave up on you. He never gave up on you. And so you remain committed. The Apostle Paul says, I didn't take on their way of life. In other words, I didn't begin to live like they lived. I didn't begin to get involved in the things of this world. He says, I kept my bearings in Christ. I remembered who I was in Jesus. I, I stayed focused. My anchor was in Christ. I kept my bearings in Christ, but I entered their world and tried to experience things from their point of view. 
I've become just about every sort of servant there is in my attempt to lead those I meet into a God-saved life. In other words, he was committed. As I shared last week, we've gotten John 3 and James 4 all mixed up. The Bible tells us to love the lost people of this world. For God so loved the lost people of this world, he gave his one and only begotten son. And when the Bible tells us in James 4 to love not the world, not the things in it, he's not telling us not to love the people of the world. He's telling us don't love and value the things the world values, like materialism and pride and racism and things of that nature. And too often what has happened we have ignored the lost. We have kept them at a long arm's distance because we didn't want to be like them. But we've loved what the world loves. We've loved materialism. We've loved success more than we've loved Jesus. And God is calling the entire church around the world to repentance about that. You can enter their world without letting their world enter into your heart and soul. You can become a part of their world without letting their world enter into your heart to soul. You can become a servant and attempt to lead them into a God-saved life. A lot of times when I'm meeting with new people or I'm trying to build friendships, I've had to learn how to start. Some of you, that just comes naturally. One of the people that I admire most in our congregation is Don Gurney. Don Gurney could make a stop sign talk to him. He's just that kind of guy. Matter of fact, when I'm with Don, I don't even worry about talking with other people. I just let Don do the talking, you know? And sometimes I'll set things up for Don. I'll just do something that I know he's going to go off on just to see what Don is going to say to the other people. And I, he's such a passionate witness for Jesus. He's never embarrassed about anything like that. He just, just enters into their world, and I admire that so much about him. But I've had to learn some of those skills. And one of the things I found, everybody likes to talk about themselves. And so sometimes I'll say to people, tell me about yourself. Where are you from? What do you like? What do you... And pretty soon I'm just sitting there and mentally taking in everything that they're saying. Because the Bible tells us that when we listen, now this is important. The Bible tells us when we listen, we need to listen with all of our hearts. In other words, we're not just getting them to talk. We're listening to them. We're paying attention to them. And when I leave them, I don't do it right there. You know, I, I go to my car and, and I type in the things, that, the names of their children, where they're from, what they like, what they dislike, what kind of food they like, whether they like the lions or not. And I always ask them if they like the Georgia Bulldogs. And those that are really on their way to heaven always say yes. I mean, it's just a sign from heaven. They're on their way. But I can, can I, if you'll just listen to me, you can get a total stranger to talk to you for almost a half an hour if you'll just get them to talk about themselves. And for an introvert, that's not hard because I don't mind listening. But if you're an extrovert, you've got an opposite problem. And I know because I've been with a lot of you that are extroverts. Because as soon as somebody takes a breath, you've already thought of something you wanted to say. As soon as they go, and oh, you jump right in with what you've got to say. And then they stop talking about themselves. But learn to listen attentively. When I worked in mental health, there was something that I learned, and I'll never forget. And the psychiatrist looked at me, and he said, Denny, you need to remember this as a young pastor. There are people in this hospital, they are literally dying because nobody is listening to them. And he said, if you will learn to listen to people, you'll be a much better pastor. Can I tell you something? 
My psychiatrist mentor wasn't even a Christian, but he acted like one of the best Christians I'd ever met in my whole life because he taught me so much about that. So learn to listen well. Learn, number four, love like Jesus did. Just love people the way Jesus did. It's not difficult to learn how to love like Jesus did. I, I would challenge you this year, I would challenge you this year to go through your Gospels, all four of them, over and over, and mark every time where you see Jesus loving lost people, where you see Jesus touching a lost person, where you see Jesus touching a leper, where you see Jesus forgiving someone like the woman caught in the act of adultery. Look for Jesus as he moves in among the crowds, and when somebody touches him, how he stops, and he talks with them, and he communes with them. Watch what Jesus says, how he listened to them. If you will learn to love like Jesus did, and if you really want to see a great movie dramatization get that movie series I, I you know it's one of the greatest movie series of I love watching it's when my kids were little they drove me crazy watching veggie tales I can sing almost every veggie tales song to you in my nightmares I hear veggie tales but now that I've got son of God I watch it over and over because to see the power of somebody acting out what I read and how Jesus loved and touched uh, Mark Burnett and his wife, you know, they just produced such an excellent series. I would challenge you to add that to your home library. Look at what the Bible says. See, Ephesians 5. Watch what God does, and then you do it. Read that with me. Watch what God does, and then you do it. One more time. Watch what God does, then you do it. Now, I can't create planets. I can't create stars. I can't create, you know, life. But you and I have the power of life and death in our tongue, the Bible says. And I can speak words that build up or destroy. I can listen and speak the way Jesus did if I will allow myself to be used by him. Then you do it like children who learn proper behavior from their parents. My oldest son, Andrew, will tell me once in a while, somebody will say to him, and says, Dad, and he'll say, Andrew, you sound just like your dad. Or, Andrew... You walk like your dad. I'll go down and I'll meet some of his friends or I've been on the base for certain things and they don't know that he's adopted and they'll just say, where did he learn that? He learned them by watching me and going with me and mimicking me. I, I remember taking him one time to, to pray with a man from our church. First time I met him here at church, he just got mad and cussed me out. I mean, he told me my parents weren't even married. You know, he just did not like me at all. And I said, wow, thank you. And he looked at me and he says, thank you. I said, yes. I says, nobody ever talks to me like that. He felt bad and pulled out $100 and offered to give me $100. He says, no, you can't give me any money. But, you know, if you want to, give it to our secretary on the way out and give it to missions. And I'll take your money and I'll send it to help somebody know Jesus. Well, that touched his heart. He came to one of our Super Bowl events. Sitting there at our Super Bowl events, he was such a sourpuss, nobody would sit with him. Well, obviously, I had to go sit with him since I invited him. And I thought, this is going to be a long night, you know. And 
And we sat there and we talked football. He ended up giving his heart to Jesus. Six weeks later, was diagnosed with cancer. I took Andrew down to the hospital and said, Andrew, you've got to meet a miracle. He told my son how much Jesus meant to him and how much it meant to him to be loved, told him a little bit about his life. And there, Andrew and I prayed over him. And within a week, he had gone to heaven. And Andrew said to me, Dad, I'm so glad you let him cuss you out. You see, you learn. Those people who swore at Jesus on the cross, those people who cussed God, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Never, never give up on the lost, because God did not give up on you and me. <laughs> Hallelujah. Never, never give up, because God didn't give up on you and me. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 17, if someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Well, how do we love like Jesus? I'd say, first of all, accept them unconditionally. Accept them. Just, it's how God accepted you. Accept them. Jesus just told that woman, go and sin no more. It'll destroy your life. Jesus just let Zacchaeus and Matthew spend time with him. Jesus let you spend time with him. I, I don't suggest doing this all the time. I've kind of learned how to do this, but I got real curious a few years ago, especially when tattoos became real popular. I mean, I saw a whole generation getting tattoos, and suddenly some of your children would call me and say, Pastor, is it wrong to get a tattoo? I knew what, I always know what's going on. I always know what's going on. So I say, what did your mom and daddy say? The really smart parents have a conversation with them. Explain to them why they don't want them to get them. The really cowardly parents say, call Pastor Clanton. I said, well, there's nothing sinful if that's what you're asking. I said, but let me tell you what it's going to do to your job prospects. Let me tell you what it's going to do in the military and things like this. And we have an intelligent company. But I always say, why? And I've got to where I'll ask people. I say, hey, can I just ask a question? I am certainly not critical. That is some beautiful paint on your body. That is, your sleeves are amazing. What? I mean, you've spent a lot of money doing this. Why? You've got that thing in your tongue. Why? You've got that ring in your nose. Why? And I mean, I just try to build a little... It's been amazing. I have come to this conclusion. And I may be wrong, but I really believe I'm right. So don't disillusion me this morning. All they're wanting is attention. All they're wanting is somebody to pay attention. I asked one girl who was just beautifully painted. I mean, she had flowers and hummingbirds and butterflies. She's told me, she says, my body is my canvas. It's how I express myself. I mean, they're just all up here. And so I said, can I ask you a question? Sure. Did anybody pay attention to you before you started doing this? And you could see the pain in her eyes. No. But now everybody asks me questions just like you do. Lost people want to know they matter. Lost people want to be seen, just like you and I do. Legalists just want to mutter. 
Look at that. Isn't that disgusting? Can you believe that? Why would they do that? Every time I see that now, I see lost people just want to matter. Secondly, affirm them. Let them know they matter to God and they matter to you. I mean, people need emotional support. Sometimes when you just pray with people, may I pray with you? I mean, it's rare. Sometimes I do. Sometimes people will tell me no. But in every case, since I've lived here in Downriver, in every case, the people that have told me no, I don't give up. I stay their friend. And in every case, I end up getting to pray with them. Sometimes they come to me asking me to pray. Sometimes I'm invited in their homes. But in every case, you just... You want to be there. You want to provide emotional support. You want to help them. You always want to speak the truth. You always want to model the life for them. And then assist them. Be there in situations. Be there where you can. If they're sick, bring them a food. If, if, call them and say, hey, let's go have a coffee together. Uh, yesterday, somebody sent me a message and says, hey, it's been a long time. Can we get together and have a coffee? And We've had some very interesting... It's not a follower of Jesus yet, but you know I'm on that like white on rice. I can't wait to get together with him because he's reaching out. Friends, love is something that we do. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 8, we loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but we shared our own lives too. And then number five, be attentive. Focus. Listen really well. And I believe that what you'll hear is the number one reason people are afraid to give their lives to Christ is fear. I believe that's the number one reason, especially when they get older. It's fear. Because they built so many networks. Now Ferguson has a book out right now. It's a very interesting book that history has not so much been written the way we've read history, but history has always been a history of networks and, and how people communicate and build and networks provide us security, networks provide us emotional support, networks provide us with news that matters to us. And that networks isn't something that's just new to this age where we have networking events, but networks have always mattered. And so sometimes the fear is they'll lose their old friends. Sometimes the fear is that they'll lose their freedom. Sometimes the fear is that their friends will think, their family will think they're nuts. Sometimes the fear is that it'll be too hard. Sometimes the fear is I can't really commit to that. Sometimes the fear is I don't understand. And in all of those situations, God has put you there to help them see that number one, they will become a witness to their friends. Number two, as they live their lives, there'll be something magnetic and something attractive about their lives. Number three, you'll be there to help them understand that God will give them boldness and God will give them courage. Number four, you will be there to help them to see that there is a joy and a fun that when you wake up on a Monday morning you don't regret the weekend when you wake up Monday morning you don't regret the bed you slept in last night that when you wake up Monday morning you're ready to go because Mondays can be the greatest day ever friends there is never a bad day for a Christian we may have some bad experiences on some bad days but every day the Lord has made and it's a gift of life to us and whether we suffer or whether we're in prison or whether 
that we're being beaten like the Apostle Paul, it's still the day the Lord has made and God has given us a platform to share His good news with lost people until God calls us home. Can you say amen? That's what it means to focus and to listen. The Bible says we should help others do what is right and build them up in the Lord. Every Sunday, I try to help you by giving you God's Word so that you can do what is right in the Lord. It's up to you to go home then and look at those Scriptures and apply them to yourselves or in your small group to discuss them and apply them to yourselves. But when you listen, listen well. Look at people. Don't try to stare them down, but just look at them. Notice their body language. Notice what they do, how they react. And when you focus upon them and you assure them that they matter. I didn't write this in my manuscript here, but I just feel really checked. I need to say it. I, um, I know for the last few weeks I've really pounded social media. But I'm afraid we're losing what it means to really be friends. I started this message with teaching you good communication leads to communion. We have relational responsibilities. You can't have communion on Facebook. You can't have face communion on Twitter. You can't have communion on Instagram. You can share memories, and a lot of people share memories that you'd never know that they have any hurt or they have any pain or they have any struggles because they're just not realistic. They're not vulnerable. They're not genuine. I get onto an elevator and I just laugh every time. It's the only place in the world everybody always looks at the ceiling and refuses to acknowledge there's other human beings are there. <laughs> Soon as the door closes, how y'all doing? Everybody jumps. Fine, fine. If we're at the hospital, I say, I won't be quite so loud. I say, I'm sorry. I'm sure you're here because someone you love or care about is, is very sick. Yes, they are. And if I've got just a moment, I'll say, if you'll tell me their name, I promise you I'll pray. People tear up. People say thank you. They get off the elevator and sometimes they'll stop and they'll hold the door and want to say one more thing to you. People just want to know they matter. And then finally, and I've asked the band to come back and to play this song one more time, Jesus, Friend of Sinners. Have faith, God will use you. Have faith, God will use you. It's a process. It takes time. Look at me. It shouldn't take too long to write that, but... It takes time. Some of you, it took years for you to come to Jesus, didn't it? Some of you maybe gave your life to Christ when you was a child. All you've ever known is being a Christian. Some of you were hurt. I've heard every story you can imagine. You were hurt in a church. Maybe you were hurt by a pastor like myself. I'm always praying every Sunday because I don't know who's going to be here. I don't know what they think about pastors. I don't know what they think about church. I plead the blood of Jesus every Sunday, every Saturday, every Friday, every th every day. Lord, when people drive on this campus, let them feel safe. 
Let them sense the presence of God. Let them know they matter to you. But it's a process. And you have to know God will use you. He wouldn't call us to do these things. These are not my suggestions. I've given you the word. Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. Build these relationships. I haven't told you what to say. I've told you how to listen. I've told you how to take notes. I've told you maybe a way you can get people to open up and talk about themselves. I've mainly tried to teach you how to love like Jesus did. But here's the fear on our parts. What are we going to say? What if they ask me a question? And don't worry. This is Jesus talking now. This is not pastor. And don't worry about what you'll say or how you'll say it. Isn't that cool? I mean, maybe that, that, gets, I mean, that gets to me. Because I'm all about worrying about what I'm going to say to you every Sunday and how I'm going to say it. Don't worry about what you're going to say or even how you're going to say it. The right words will be there. And the Spirit of your Father will supply those words. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise for that? I believe that. I trust that. I banked my whole life on that. So, this little woman, she's cast at the feet of Jesus. Jesus kneels down and the haters are muttering and he scribbles in the sand and he rises and defends her. And then he kneels again and the haters disappear and long after hate is gone, love will still be there. And he raises her up and he makes her a daughter of God. Just go. Sin no more. And when you and I were being condemned in the face of God the Father Almighty, Jesus knelt in the sand and they nailed him to a tree for you and me. And when he shed that blood, the book of Hebrews says it remains an everlasting covenant defending us making intercession for us and he is at the right hand of the Father and he says to us go and sin no more how could we withhold that kind of love from anybody here's what I'd like you to do I start a brand new series next week on power I'm going to preach four messages in the month of February all the first three messages are designed just because it's what our lost friends and it's what we need to know we're going to talk about the power of habit power of example the power of presentation and then that last Sunday of the month I want you to be praying for four or five lost people I want you to write their names down I'm going to show you how to pray for them in a minute I want you to write their names down I want you to be praying for opportunities to befriend them and invite them to church with you they'll come they just need an invitation. They'll feel so much safer if they know you're going to be here. They'll feel so much more welcome if they know you're going to meet them here. 
and just say, hey, let's meet at church. I, I, you really need to hear this message. And just invite them. And then that last Sunday, we're going to try and pull the net in. Remember how Jesus said they fished all night, but they caught nothing? I can tell you, Jesus always knows where the spot is. And so Jesus says, put out a little further into the deep. And Peter said, Lord, we've done this all night and we've caught nothing. And some of you are probably thinking, I've done this all my life and I still haven't led anybody to Christ. You just don't know where the spot is. But Jesus does. And if you'll put out into the deep <laughs> and let down your net, and Peter said, nevertheless, at thy word, and they pulled the net in. And there was so much fish, they had to call some other churches to come help them. I ain't calling them until we fill this net up. And then I'll call them. Amen? Second thing I want you to do is be in midweek service. Because especially where I'm at in Revelation, that's what people are talking about in your world right now. Maybe among themselves. Maybe they've asked you. This week, I listened to one of the men in our church explain 666 to somebody. I sat there with joy because that's not anything you and I have to be afraid of. And I sat there with joy as I listened to him explain that. And then finally, I want you to pray for them. Don't ever doubt the power of prayer. Stand with me. I'm going to read this. I'm going to show you how to pray it. I'm going to pray for you. And then the band is going to sing and Pastor Rick will come and dismiss you. I pray, this is how I pray for my lost friends. This is how I pray for you. I pray that your love will overflow more and more. That you'll keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live a pure and blameless life until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. Sometimes I'll say, if, for instance, here's the blessing. I say, do you mind if I pray? No. I'll say, Lord, thank you. We've got this meal. And I pray that Tim and my love will overflow more and more for our families, for our friends. Sometimes I'll pray, Lord, will you help our character to become more like yours? I want to be like Jesus. And you go ahead and put those up for me, if you will. Sometimes I'll pray, especially if we've had a conversation. I did this at Starbucks just recently. I said, do you mind if I pray before we go? It was a little awkward, but I said, sure. I said, Jesus tells us that if we lack wisdom, all we have to do is just ask for it. So I just prayed. I said, Lord, would you just give my friend and me both the knowledge, the wisdom that we need how to handle some of life's difficult situations? <laughs> and believe it or not, fathead that won't pray yet to give his heart to Christ went, Amen. I mean, I, that's progress. You celebrate every little and I'm not being talking behind his back. I told him he was a fathead. You, you just celebrate every little step. You pray that we live pure and blameless lives. You pray for these five things and I'll tell you, I pray
promise you, God's going to answer your prayer. God's going to answer your prayer. Jesus, there are more than 12 of us here. Matter of fact, there's more than 120 of us here today. And would to God that the power of the Holy Spirit will fall upon us and that you would send us out of this place declaring the great things that you have done. And that we will be known as a people that celebrate your love by living lives of such influence that lost people are persuaded to become passionate followers of Christ. I pray all of this in the name of Him who knelt in the dirt for us, rose upon a cross for us, buried in a grave for us, and then conquered death, hell, and the grave to the right hand of the Father. For it's in your name I pray. And everyone said, Amen. God bless you. You can be seated.